All right. Hello. Can you hear me? I can indeed. Excellent. Uh, welcome to this episode where we chat about Thoughts. what would you call it? Yeah. There we go. <laughs> it's very deep. <laughs> so, do you want to get into it? You have a story. So, just to kind of preface my story here is um, the idea that when you are comfortable enough with an idea or an ideology that you can voice your opinion uh, in any, maybe not any situation, but in a, in a situation where you don't know the beliefs of the people you're talking to or talking around. Is that a fair assumption of what kind of what you were talking about? So you, you believe in something so much that you're cool with saying it because you trust it. Yes. Yeah, I think that makes sense. Um, so we were out to dinner tonight and for a fun, you know, public conversation, um, I kind of have been bringing Donna into the fold of the conversation you and I had had about, um, structure to conduct yourself, structure to aim towards a goal to shoot for in how you conduct yourself. Okay. And, you know... The restaurants are still social distancing the table, so it's not super tight, but there's a waitress, there's people close enough to hear, and it's funny that it was one of the few times where even in some of the, I don't want to say outlandish, but maybe some of the more far out points that I were making, was making, that I was confident enough in my point of view that I wasn't concerned with other people hearing. That's cool. And you felt that. You I cognitively <laughs> felt that feeling tonight while we were out at dinner, maybe an hour ago. That's awesome. Did anybody look? Did anybody say anything? Did you what was the most abrasive thing that you said that you remember saying? What is the context of rape? <laughs> Just that word alone. <laughs> yes. And it it evolved into like a good conversation, I feel like it was just the atmosphere wasn't the normal deep conversation atmosphere, but it kind of evolved into that through previous discussions. But also, you know, it's a Friday night, so it's been a long week for everybody. So unwinding, so you're throwing things out there. But the idea that what you believe in isn't necessarily embarrassing regardless of what you're saying if you believe in it do you do you think that you have been cooped up in your house doing introspective thought only chatting with a couple people often <laughs> so you build up these relationships right and then you go out to dinner and now you feel really comfortable saying whatever you think and then if you had gone back two years ago you would have been like i would never have said that in front of people is, is there so. like a concentration of it I guess is what I'm getting at. I, I feel like maybe not exactly that, but I almost feel like I want conflict from somebody who I haven't had conflict with before. Yeah. Like you want to know why you're wrong. And I want somebody to say like, wow, that's really messed up that you think that way. Yeah. Because then I want to explain myself and I want them to explain that. Like I miss that connection between a person who I don't know. You should go to, well, the problem with protests is it's all ideology. So you don't, you already know what you're up against. But like you want to debate a rational human being who disagrees with you. While having a beer. Yeah. You know, that like should... I miss that on a Friday night <laughs> going to sit at a bar and people just say things. Yeah. Whether or not they mean it, whether or not they don't. And I was, I know I was always very careful with what I said. I was very conscientious and almost to like a boring fault like i would be purposefully agreeable in the fact that i wouldn't want to create or say anything that might be offensive and i don't know tonight i just felt different i felt that feeling of being confident enough in what i was talking in that i was having a conversation with somebody and if somebody asked about it or somebody was like that's really messed up like i don't know i just felt confident enough to explain myself that's awesome that's uh that makes me miss bars a lot. It's kind of weird, a isn't it? Major like, bummer. 
what we miss <laughs> out of it, everything. It is really strange because I feel like I spent a lot of time at bars. It's definitely the thing that has shifted so much in this pandemic for me, at least. I noticed that I don't go to bars anymore, and that's kind of a bummer. I miss being at a table and seeing other people, and yeah, that was a lot of fun. It's uh, and, and and also like when you're at a bar, you know everyone's going to fuck around. There's no. That's kind of what I was getting at. Like to replace a bar with a Zoom call with random people who are also drinking is not right. the same thing. Not at all. Not even. You can't read the body language. It's a well, narrow and window. Not, and not even that, but just the intentions. Like people with the intentions of going to a bar. There's, they vary in so many different ways <laughs> compared to there's it's a specific kind of person that's going to go drink alcohol in front of a webcam like yeah it's very not the same variety that you're going to experience and I just I don't know I miss it but yeah at the same time like I've noticed a change in myself because of not being around it so maybe it's for the better ah uh, maybe but it's also a lot of fun and. Why would you try to preserve your life if you couldn't do the fun thing that you wanted to do with all of that preserved extra time that you've gained, you know? Well, if their preserved time is used to enhance a specific view or idea Fair. that you would not have normally been able to work your way through by yourself, um, the spare time is would be worth it, right? Yeah. But in the end... If you never have anybody to share it with, then that also kind of defeats the point, right? Yeah, it assumes you're going back. You have to assume that you're you're going to be going back to do the thing that you're not supposed to be doing. Like if you're At 65 years old. Place. Yep. Yeah, exactly. Like if you're if you're super young and not smoking because you want to live forever. I don't know. It, it's kind of like why are you extending your life arbitrarily? But maybe it's so you can smoke more cigarettes when you're 85. Maybe that's the time to smoke cigarettes. I don't know. Or maybe you need to say something after you've turned 85 yeah. that you wouldn't have had the opportunity to say. And the cigarettes here and now, you, will, you don't understand any of it. Yeah. Yeah, it's, it's a crazy roll of the dice of what's important now versus then. And how we think that we can determine what's important. That's a very large part of my relationship with money is centered on the idea that I have no idea what I'm going to want in the future. And I know that if I save for it, my wants are going to change the ebb and flow, but at some point in the future, I will still have enough for whatever I want. And the fact that it changes, it ebbs and flows, tells me that what I really want right now, it, it's really finicky. So I should just save the money. You know what I mean? Yeah, it's interesting. I uh, The only thing I disagree with about that is if your want in the future is experiences in the past. True. Yeah, that's that's the old, like, you're 65 and you can't walk anymore, but you wish you had gone and do all this shit. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that's a tough one. I guess you got to take some risks, but it's, you don't have to buy it. You don't have to buy a new TV. Yeah, like, you don't have to buy... There's no point... There's no world in which a new TV is going to make you have a better life. Uh, Correct. As an experience, you know, like you'll never regret not having a 65 inch TV, I guess, if that makes sense. I, I agree with that portion of what you're saying. Absolutely. Sweet. Sweet. So how about, uh, I know you had mentioned that you had a similar story, uh, something about voicing your opinions in a public setting. Yeah. Um, I'd love to hear the, the whole story. It was really interesting. We got on the airplane and we're flying back. It's a six hour flight. And we all knew it was six hours, which is kind of a crazy thing to think about, in my mind at least, because that means whoever you're going to sit next to, they also know they're committing to a six-hour conversation if they come in and say hi. So I was reading the Gulag Archipelago, like 300 pages in, and this couple, and they're wearing face shields, they're wearing gloves, they're wearing masks, they're whatever you'd imagine like a COVID-scared person is, they're that times 10, and they sit down, and the guy immediately asks me what I'm reading. And then I said the Gulag Archipelago. And then I don't know why I said this, but I said that I'm super interested in the morality of the 20th century, which is a true statement, but I had never, ever thought about it. Like I've read a bunch of books about Pol Pot and Mao and Stalin 
and other terrible things that have happened in the world. And then I'm reading the Gulag Archipelago, so it all ties together. But it was a very coherent conversation starter. And then I started asking him what he's doing. You know, we're talking about general life things. And then he tells me he's a second year PhD student and that he's, you know, doing work on anger. And then that launches into a discussion of the Capitol and the whole mess from last week, two weeks ago. And that sparked a, a super long political conversation. And his girlfriend is in the aisle seat. I'm at the window and he's in the center. And his girlfriend is very loud. His girlfriend was blasting opinions for the whole airplane to hear. And I feel like him and I were doing a very good job of keeping it quiet in the seats. But the whole point of this is that no matter what was said, the whole plane heard. The whole plane, four or five rows in front of us, four or five rows behind us was heard. So it was very strange to have like a very personal conversation with somebody, but also have it be echoed to the whole plane. And it's pretty cool. We chatted for like four hours about politics and what we agree on, what we don't agree on. And it was just a weird dynamic because you're trapped in an airplane. There's nothing you can do. There's nowhere to go. There's no out. There's for somebody to, for somebody to sit there in the plane next to, or the seat next to you and think, I'm going to commit to this conversation as well, no matter what happens is kind of a crazy thing in my opinion. I, so right off the bat, the two things that absolutely shocked me are one, you having the spur of the moment ability whatever you want to call it, to summarize something so conflicting and difficult in the morality of the 20th century, which is very elegant in the wording of something so horrendous. Yeah. But that is that is a conversation starter <laughs> with a built-in defense because anybody short of a PhD student in psychology yeah. would have been like, oh, cool, dude. Right. And you wouldn't have said off. another word to him the rest <laughs> of the – So in, in reality, your comment, your answer to his question was a very defensive answer. It, it eliminated <laughs> most of the people on that plane. Yeah. And only yeah. the chance – that it was somebody who was interested in the morality of the 20th century made that four-hour conversation happen. Yeah. How – How? and I did not plan that. I'm not smart. I cannot – I did not have that prepared. <laughs> I, I felt – after I said that, my first thoughts were, fuck, I'm such a douchebag. Why did I say that? And then it, it worked out. And so part of this whole experience for me was a little bit – just, just fucking say what you want. It'll work out. But yeah. So the the second thing that hit me was when you were saying about his girlfriend being loud, and the whole plane could hear what you were saying or what she was saying. The first thing right off the bat that hit me is you were in a social setting. Mm -hmm. Okay. As much as planes tend to be a quiet, stick to yourself kind of thing. It is a gathering of people that's rare nowadays. You were in a real life social media situation. <laughs> yeah. And the girl being loud was the person voicing their opinion. Right. Why would it be any different than somebody on Facebook voicing their opinion? So I got to be honest with you. Was that your, is that your complete thought? I don't want to. Yeah, just yeah, just basically that if a person who if anybody is able or willing to voice their opinion openly on Facebook and other people ignore that if it bothers them or they make a statement if it bothers them. Like you have the the two groups, right? The people who just consume and the people who produce. Yeah, yeah. And very true. I feel like if somebody had a problem with what she was saying on the plane, honestly, they would have said something back. I was I was waiting for that moment because there was this lady one row up that kept looking back and I thought she's about to say something. But it I I for days later I kept thinking about if I was gonna get fired or not because I remember saying where I worked and what I did at where I worked, 
And so I knew that everyone else on the plane also knew where I worked and we were going to Seattle. So they knew that that employer is headquartered. So it, it was a lot of, you know, I felt like I was that person in the Twitter mob that could have gotten screwed in the moment if some other passenger was like tweeting, oh man, this really annoying person is talking about politics and I disagree with what they say and here's what, whatever they wanted to take away from whatever I said, get them fired. But it was, uh, yeah, it was, it was, it was a weird social experiment. And to your point about Facebook, I feel like it's different because I can't hit the block button on you in the plane. So no matter what I said, no matter if it was the most offensive thing, and I don't even think I was, I was not very offensive, but if you took offense to whatever I said, sucks for you. Enjoy the plane ride. Okay. And what's the other thing, right? There's no animosity. Yeah. Okay. There's no fake Facebook profiles. This is it. And honestly, it goes to show you in a plane full of people, there's not one person who had any issue enough that they needed to correct anything you guys were saying. So to that point, I also very much felt, I felt like, I felt like in a world of crazy polarity, people could still have conversations about politics. Nobody freaked out. Nobody said anything weird. I disagree with them. They disagree with me. It was great. And no one was angry. And I felt, I felt like two countrymen discussing the, the goings on of the world. I did not feel like a Republican and a Democrat chatting about stuff they disagree on, which is a super 1800s thing to think. I, I, I believe. And it was great to have that. I don't, so, I don't know where that happens anymore, which sucks. But do you think that we're just distorted in what our idea of a political disagreement looks like because of the yeah. extremities that different platforms have enabled? Yeah, I, I do. My brother said something on the way to the airport that I thought was very smart. It stuck with me is in the pandemic, no one has had the chance to go to the office to sit next to Debbie who might be a Republican and you're a Democrat, but you see Debbie face to face every day and you know she's a human being and you respect her as a human being because she's a human. But now it's all just Democrat, 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 Republicans are the enemy. So you don't get that mediating of your temperament or your philosophy. So right, there's no face there's no face to Debbie when it's a profile picture. <laughs> yeah. So I was thinking about that on the plane. This is this is a this is a Debbie scenario. Like I respect everyone on this plane. If somebody told me to be quiet, I would have been quiet. I can tell you that. Really? I feel like I would have. I feel like I would have respected somebody else's wishes on the plane only would because you I quieted down or stopped talking. I would have I would have I mean we exchanged phone numbers, but I would have exchanged phone numbers and said, "Let's be let's be polite and uh chat later." But I definitely would would not have kept talking, and I and I thought that consciously. Like I was there, and it was some people were sleeping, so I was thinking, oh, the, the volume will annoy them. But and but it's because that I know what it's like to be on a flight when there's a crying baby one row ahead of me, and I wish the baby would stop. So if I'm the baby, I would like me to stop, and I get like I under, I empathize with that person if that makes sense. My opinions are not more important than the baby talking, if that... Yeah, I, I mean, I guess in the context of being a conscientious uh, passenger on a flight, right? that is different than somebody telling you to stop because they disagree with you. And that is where the difference might lie. I mean, if somebody said stop because I disagree with you, well, then that's, you know, a whole different slew of things. And frankly, I think the person I was chatting with and myself were so adamant we would have kept talking anyway. I mean, right, and that's that's kind of the the point I was making. Not not so much on the point of talking to annoy people, right? But the perspective of somebody disagreeing with you, and instead of disagreeing with you, they say stop talking. Yeah, that first of all would be a very surprising thing to encounter in a very public environment. Yeah, but. Also, you like you said though, it's it's going to bring a very different response than can you please quiet down? I'm trying to relax or I'm trying to sleep or 
there's yeah. a lot of people here who don't want to hear like right you know obviously you, if somebody is having a just a general can you stop talking moment then okay yeah respect that yeah i kept i kept thinking about how they were forced to listen to all the nuance so i had said something about how the people who write it at the capitol had a point and we should figure out what that point was and resolve that we should not just disenfranchise them and then i went on to talk about a whole set of other things around like when people don't feel like they're heard they resort to violence so it went from a very crazy headline to a very rational, like nuanced, we need to respect all Americans, etc. So I wonder if people were forced to hear that side of it, they didn't feel animosity. That makes sense. So, yes, it makes sense. Do you think what you said impacted anybody? I think, I thought about this too. I have no idea, but that's the beauty of it, is you're not supposed to know and you never will. And there's all these events in history where somebody stood up in a train to raise their hand and they got shot or they were taken off the train or the train stopped and that saved a bunch of other passengers from getting to their destination a second or a minute earlier and you have no idea of when they stepped off the platform they would have died falling off the platform you have no idea like how it's going to affect people but uh that's the beauty of it i have no idea but i i yeah, I don't know. So this this goes back to a conversation we've had about uh, voicing your opinion and speaking your piece, right? As yeah, as we're talking yeah. about it, it makes me believe now more than ever that speaking your piece is vital. I felt morally good if if I could say that. I left the plane feeling like as long as I didn't annoy anybody, I felt good that people had heard what I had to say, and that was that was really nice. So the interesting part is, to me, I think a lot of the things that I struggle with personally with starting conversation is the the act of starting, right? Mm-hmm. Once the conversation is even like remotely going, I have no problem continuing. Yeah. But in your circumstance, this conversation starts with a book yeah and of i would say an uncommon book yeah is that a motivational force to seek an uncommon narrative or an uncommon perspective to attract interesting conversation oh if you were, if you were reading the new york times would have he said right. anything to you right you know if you were reading I... a, a a less I don't want to say controversial and I don't want to say you if you read a controversial book because then you can also attract people who don't want to have an interesting conversation. They'd want to have a charged conversation towards their beliefs. But I think there's something to the fact that you were reading the Gulag Archipelago and not uh, Twilight. Yeah, it's yeah, you find common ground, I guess. And that common ground kind of unites you. I so would it makes you ever me read th- a novel again. Yeah, I love so the novels that I will agree with on people are Hemingway. I will very much agree. Hemingway is everyone should read Hemingway. I've read like seven or eight Hemingway books. There, I know that I'm going to get put in a box for that. Whatever. And C.S. Lewis. Frankly, if I sat next to somebody who read C.S. Lewis, I mean, I've read three or four C.S. Lewis books. I'm yeah, I would read novels again. I I still, yeah, there's something to it. There's something very powerful about literature. And I think we've talked a little bit about, about this with the Bible. Um, it's, it's an echo or the metaphor of what all of humanity has distilled to a certain point. And, and the other part of that too is really good art isn't, um, isn't a, isn't a thing that you view. It's a mirror that shoots back whatever you're thinking about the situation and bad art does not do that for you. Bad art tells you what it means. Good art tells you what you think it means. And so Hemingway novels are good art. If I sat next, if I sat next to somebody who was reading a Hemingway novel, I suspect I could talk to them about a lot of different things. If I was sitting next to somebody who read Twilight, 
The chances are slim because Twilight has not stood the test of time from a literary perspective. It does not. And I, I say this like gripping my tongue a little bit because there are parts of Twilight that are extremely literarily complex. So I don't know about that. But if I if I say somebody that was reading like a dumb book, chances are slim. But novels, there's there's a value. There's there's an an equal value to novels, I think, as to you know actual books. Novels novels are just history that we can't that we haven't said coherently. There's a there's a thing about novels that we all know to be true that we can't really pull out of the out of the air. And there's oh god. There's a there's something interesting um I we were having a conversation uh tonight about it that um the idea being that a novel or a story is a valuable lesson you don't want to forget but it's hard to remember. I so I agree the hard to remember part, I think, is the specifics. But you work it into your psyche, and you work it into your response to scenarios. And hard to remember being more along the lines. I don't mean like literally hard to remember because, okay, like in the instance of the Bible, right? Right. So if you had a story such, as, and I know we've had this conversation before, but if you had a story such as, um, say. Uh, the prodigal son. Sure. And we had a deep discussion about this. The ultimate goal of that story would be forgiveness is the greatest thing you can give somebody else. That's a hard thing to remember sometimes when you're angry. For when sure. When you have a story to apply that to, it makes it a lot easier to remember that. Well, yeah, so it's it's more effective, but how crazy is it that that ultimate truth exists more unanimously in the Bible than it does in any other place? In no other place can you read the words, forgiveness is the best gift you can give somebody else. You can't find that anywhere. Where would you search for that? There's no option to find that, but there's there's a ton of stories that stand out in your brain. I, I agree. We're a narrative human. We're a narrative creature. We need stories yeah. to remember I, things. I think to a point when something has been covered very specifically, um, if you look across many different religious texts, there's a lot of similarities as far yeah. as how to conduct yourself. Right. I wonder if it would be like telling a story... With just different characters in it. Yes. Right? Yeah. So the story's been told in potentially the best way it is capable of being told. Right. At the moment. At the moment. So to improve on that would be very difficult. Right. So that's why maybe we lack modern stories with the same intention or meaning. Because how could you attempt to improve upon or better a not a simple story but a straightforward story that explains the point and is worded in many different ways yeah i wonder if it's almost like movies right once a movie has been done the person can't just go in and change the characters and make a new movie right the the idea has been set the right. movie might have been horrible but and i kind of feel that way about stories i i'm with once, you once we it's hard to top a story that has been honed over thousands of years, like you had said. Yeah. That these people accumulated a novel, per se, of experiences and cautionary tales over thousands of years. You know, and, and to that point, there were books of the Bible that were not included in the final version of the Bible. And obviously there are different translations, and some keep those books in and some do not, but most don't. And there was a reason for that. So it's like, it's like a virus. It's like the, the coronavirus. It's like the same thing. It, the, the infectivity of the idea, only the good ideas are so infectious that everyone remembers them and knows them. And therefore that's the most popular virus. So if it's, the Bible is challenging because it's traditional. So it's potentially the most accurate if it's the oldest, potentially, let's just say for traditional speak, it's the most infectious, except for 
Islam, I think there are more Islamic followers than there are Christians today. But so who knows? But the, but they're all essentially the same story. Like you said, Islam and Christianity vary in, in potentially the, the most places of religions. But on the whole, there are elements of justice and how to conduct yourself in the world. So I don't know. And it's, it's interesting that if somebody is looking to improve themselves, at least, you know, people around me, I'm sure people around you, how many people turn to the the Bible or how many people turn to Google? See, I, yeah, the Google thing is, that's a mess. But I think that most people do turn to the Bible. They just don't know it. They, they turn to huh. something in their, something that has been informed by the Bible. You could say roughly, maybe it's their conscience. Maybe it's a book they've read. Most, the problem with the Bible is most of the Bible is a story. And that story gets handed down to other stories. They're almost analogous. And there are a lot of analyses of stories where you can break a story down into like seven or eight components. Star Wars. Star Wars Star Wars is closer to the Bible than almost every story that you would you would think of as a story today in theaters. The Marvel, all of the Marvel comics are closer to the Bible than most of those stories as well. They're all, you know, you can think of Jesus as a protagonist. You can overlay the same ideology of the Bible onto Marvel if you picked a protagonist as you would the Bible itself, because the same themes of sacrifice and justice and what you would consider correct in society are roughly there. They're roughly there. There's a lot of deviation, I know, but um, it's... It's probably better, I don't want to say this, but Twilight, my, the Twilight-esque novels, the things you would think of as Twilight. There's something, there's something there. So. so to create an interesting conversation, I'll go that why then do we need to keep recreating this story? Because the first part is people love money and stories sell. So there's a profit motive and an incentive. The second, the reason I kind of believe that is because a lot of the movies in the U.S. get ported elsewhere, but only for economic reasons. And the movies that are purchased in other countries are only purchased there because they have the most uh, infectivity of the group they're trying to sell to. So India buys a lot of movies from us. China buys a lot of movies from us. Action movies sell the best because there are fewer, there's fewer conversation in action movies. And so that's why most action movies spend the most amount of money and budget on the film because they know the budget will spend, it'll get spent elsewhere other than the U.S. So it's a really interesting fact, um, but that, that's why the budgets are so large for, for action movies. Um, the, the successful story is a story of a protagonist that changes and evolves over time and starts somewhere meager and weak and then figures out usually through trials, how to conduct themselves in society. Now, that's a very narrow path, but Greek mythology is along the same lines. If you look at, uh, I'm forgetting the name of the individual who did this, but they had to conquer, I think it was three or seven, I can't remember which, number of demons or enemies before they were able to, it wasn't pull the sword from the stone, but either achieve uh, their, their, their place in the throne I, I, I'm blanking on the actual person, but another person in Greek mythology that you can look at to substantiate this is the Odyssey, where Odysseus has to go back from island to island to get back to his home. So there's an element of what's most sacred to you is something that you have to trial through. And that was after he went to the Battle of Troy and was marooned. So he sought what his country wanted him to seek, the the fall of Troy. And then there's a lot wrapped up in there that you couldn't decompose in, in a, in a quick conversation. But the stories I think get repeated because there's other ways of telling the story that resonate with a population over time. Marvel, Marvel is how we translate the Bible to the modern era at the moment, because there are biblical concepts in, in all of the Avengers. Um, there are so, biblical concepts in Star Wars. But go on, sorry. Can you just say that there's a biblical concept to everything then? 
Yeah. What it makes you question, this is the chicken and the egg. The Bible may not be correct just because it's the Bible, but it's, it's got all the, all the makings of a story. So maybe you could also say that Marvel knows just as much about the Bible as the Bible does. I would say. But could you, all I'm getting at is like Harry Potter, Disney movies, Marvel, um, Die Hard. um, You can make correlations between all of those movies and sets of examples that have been laid out in the Bible. For sure. So if something applies to everything, does that leave you with the feeling of... There's no way that one thing applies to everything, or does that make sense that one thing can apply to everything because it is absolutely correct? Well, it's it's at a certain level, and the problem with all of this is that there's a certain amount of chaff in everything you read. So the Bible has a certain amount of chaff that you have to slough off. That's the, I would say, the planting of crops next to each other in Leviticus. That is the tattoos portion of Leviticus where you have to strike down your neighbor or condemn them if they have committed either of these acts it's there's there's a certain amount of baggage that is attached to a thing to sell it to the population at the time I would say the chaff in Marvel is the superheroes aspect the 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 fact that it could never happen aspect so uh, you know can we tell stories that is it possible to tell an original story then see that's uh man that's a tough one i don't know i that's a very cool tough i don't know what do you mean by story which is i know there's a lot baked into that i'm happy to unpack that but what do you mean by story a new narrative i don't think that humans listen to new narratives we've listened to one narrative for quite a while and it's extremely effective and it could be a fault of our biology we have no idea right so in the fact that a long time ago, some smart people over a long period of time honed a set of stories that were so accurate to the human experience that we have now become unable or unwilling to listen to a new narrative. I don't, I don't think a new narrative resonates with anybody okay. at the core of it all. I, because there there have been that that attempt has occurred so many times. If the communists did not want that attempt, if if the communists wanted that to happen, it would have already happened a hundred years ago. And the communists would not be the first to try that. The Romans would have been before them. So I don't think that we are designed to be excited in certain ways. There's this idea of a of a climactic triangle. You have to slowly build the story. And then at the very last quarter of the story, you reduce the entire thing down to the, the end or the result. And it has to be satisfying, except sometimes it doesn't. If you want the reader to continue to ponder the idea that you put forward, and then you leave it as an unsatisfactory ending, that really simple arc that exists through all different kinds of stories. That's, that's the difference between like a Greek tragedy and a, uh, uh, there's a technical name for the tragedy or a technical way the tragedy is supposed to unfold and that I don't know right now. But there's all these different... The Greeks figured it out, roughly. They, they knew the ways to tell stories. Um, but not a lot. Yeah, I, I don't... That's, that's about all I have on that, on that topic. Okay. Um, my other question is when... Hmm. Have you heard of this idea of, of what a Western is? Potentially. So there, there are four different kinds of stories. So the Greeks came along and they did all of their, their really intelligent work. They developed a tragedy, um, a comedy. I, I think a tragedy is, uh, I, I wish I knew, but it's not what people think of when they think of a tragedy. There's a lot of other elements of a tragedy that have to occur for it to be a technical tragedy. But the Greeks came along and they did this. And then in the 1800s or the 1900s, if anybody is listening and they want to Google this, there are, they developed four different kinds of stories. There's the Western, which we're all very familiar with today. There is a lone individual who's roughly in charge, but there is also a Southern, a Northern, and an Eastern. Yep. Yep. You're familiar with this? I am. Holy cow. How'd you know about this? Um... This is a beautiful artifact that I've learned about over the last couple of years. It's very interesting. 
I would say probably a Joe Rogan guest if I had to. Oh, that. interesting. Okay, gotcha. So what are, what are your... Uh, uh, either that you, or Lex Friedman. I Yeah, I feel like it was... I can't remember. But how cool is that idea? Like, it's a real thing. I, I was looking into it. It's a... Uh, it is, and it's also kind of the ability for us to apply characteristics to somebody or something. Sorry, can I don't want to I don't want to say vague, be vague, but like we can also make stories fall into categories as well. How so? What do you mean? So sometimes we, I feel like we want something or a certain outcome to happen enough that you can see things happening because of certain things to give the appearance of you know the the lone hero is saving the day again right when meanwhile it could have potentially been a whole lot of other things happening in place sure um i don't want to say that it's that it's never the one person that made the difference but very rarely is it only the one person that made the difference. Are you saying standing on the shoulders of giants kind of a thing? Kind of, but more like, take the Western, for example, right? Right. So you have a, a lone individual trying, you know, that needs to be the sheriff in town and, and stand up. And while, yes, the lone individual is the one that inspires people to make the difference, isn't it a very movie like appearance that it's the one person that does all of the work is it potentially go ahead go ahead is it potentially because you view yourself as the single person you you as an arrogant individual which most people are they only see themselves as themselves they're not looking at all the friends that are helping them along the way but you resonate with that person and when that person does a good thing you know you have to do the good thing as well you know off uh, rarely Rarely is it in the interest of the hero in a Western to do what they do. Oftentimes it is because they see somebody in need. There's a a woman who needs help. There's, it's another characteristic of a Western is it's usually not advantageous for the protagonist to continue on the journey in strict senses. It is for moral reasons. There's a morality aspect to it, which is interesting, but yeah. Yeah, I mean, you are right. Uh, in the aspect of we tend to apply ourselves to the hero in any story, really. Pro- I mean, I guess I I would say I probably struggle with that in most situations because... How so? Uh, sh- struggle with it in the fact that I do to apply myself as the hero. Like, isn't that... Wouldn't you consider that to be, I think you said earlier, that the arrogant assumption that you are the hero and you can do it yourself it's it's a it's a tiny it's a tiny dumb push that that when you're in a situation where you recognize somebody's asking me for help and i need it i only have the stories of a guy in a western who just did the thing he went over toughed it out helped out i think that's the beauty of it is the story reduced itself to ignorance where humans were constantly ignorant. So the point is, it, it's like an infection. It's like a, it's like a Trojan horse. It's just trying to get in there to make you do the good thing. Does that make sense or no? So, so the value of <clears throat> the generated arrogance, or sorry, the arrogance is a side effect of the good that is generated from they're they're the same. I mean, humans are arrogant. Like we are ignorant and arrogant. We uh, there's nothing. There's no. There's no way to fix it. Like he, everyone, uh, opinions are like butts. Everyone has an opinion, and they all stink. But it's it's the arrogance that keeps you thinking you're correct. Like I in this world am just spewing some bullshit right now. I, I think it's correct. I think it's accurate. But in the grand scheme of things, there's a million other people, uh, seven billion other people who also have opinions and think shit. And my opinion's no more valid than any of theirs. So in this well, world of in this world of arrogance, you can look at math and whatever, but at, at the end of the day, at a human life factor, no more value. 
I there's an arrogance to whenever you say a thing, but that arrogance is okay. That's that's important. The story turns the beautiful knowledge, the beautiful this is how you're supposed to conduct yourself in society into an arrogant thing that you could relate to. You could relate to a single individual who you want to be like John Wayne. You want to be a kind of person who would help or who could be capable of helping, which are also two very different things. So it's, it's, it's really smart how that works. It's not the other way around. It doesn't presuppose that humans know how to be giving. Maybe that's why it stuck around. Does that make sense or am I just off my rocker? No, I think it makes sense on the like for the most part. The the one thing I'm struggling with right now is when you say that the arrogance of people is a is an even playing field. What do you mean by that? That everybody's arrogant. There's not there's not going to be an example of a person who is not ignorant or arrogant about themselves or others. It's a spectrum, but we all have an ego. There's something there, right? There's something there. There's some version of the fact. Go ahead. What I'm trying to to come to terms with is if the ability for a person to write or create a story exists in the same person who applies themselves to the story. The good that is produced from the story is then, should it then, or is it then credited to the person Uh, who has the ability to create that? There's a whole credit thing. I don't think so. I don't think so at all. It's uh, it's, So it's just a gift to humanity. So Jack Dorsey says this all the time. He's a very smart guy, I think. He's one of the only tech CEOs to say that if he hadn't come up with Twitter, somebody else would have come up with Twitter. Twitter Twitter, Twitter is not born of him. It's born of humanity's want to send texts to each other socially over the internet. And like that is the trick. That is the key. Venture capital. It's no one, everyone has all these ideas all the time. And some of them sell and some of them don't. But So could you make the same argument for a new narrative? Yeah, and they're never selling. There's always a new narrative. Every day somebody has a new narrative. It never sticks. It hasn't stuck for potentially four or 6,000 years, depending on how much you care about Egyptian hieroglyphics at the start of Egypt. That's what I would say. Okay. When did Twitter get created? Just recently in that okay. span. So... Up until 10 years, 20 years ago. 20 years, yeah. A lot of things didn't exist that exist now and are very influential now. I don't think so. The need to communicate in a public atmosphere has always existed. And Twitter okay. was the iteration of this that occurred at the moment. Okay. But Just the do- new, it's, it's the first iteration of internet communication in a... It's a niche category, but it's still... Not you, un. Sorry, go ahead. You could say the same thing about huts. Huts back in the prehistoric era, finally you could build a structure where people could hang out in during cold weather and chat. It's the same thing. But isn't a hut still a new narrative to the living arrangement situation? It introduces a ton of new challenges, but I think the narrative, and I, if I'm going to apply this to Twitter, I think the narrative, well, there's a competing narrative of you don't need to spend all of your time on Twitter. And Jack Dorsey is saying this too. But the overall narrative of Twitter is that humans want to connect on a, on a global scale. We're a social creature. That narrative exists all throughout time. I don't, I don't think there is a new narrative embedded in that that will stand the test of time. I don't think there's a new narrative in that that will say that our attention spans are going to shrink to 140 characters or that you know we have to we have to yell at each other through computer screens and i think that because when the gutenberg press was created people thought the exact same thing about our conversion of knowledge from an oral a, a mostly roughly oral tradition into books was going to shrink attention spans and make people socially isolated but all it did was share ideas more quickly. 
to more people that could read. And I know, and then reading happened a thousand years later or 700 years later. So I, there are parts of Twitter that are correct for humanity, but there are parts that are not. What do you mean by, what do you, what do you mean by Twitter's narrative? How did that, what do you mean by it changed the narrative? If we were to have the conversation a thousand years ago, Sure. About not communicating face to face. And you would feel the need to post your opinion to nobody and everybody. That would be an unfathomable thing to comprehend. Okay. A thousand years ago. Okay. There's a lot of things that changed since a thousand years ago. Each one leading up to the ability for you to tweet. To say that the way we communicate is essentially unchanged maybe maybe not the way we communicate but the but the need for communication and our immediate acceptance of whatever the quickest way is to communicate it's adopted it's the same thing with words it's, but we aren't really communicating with twitter we are we definitely are in a way it's not it's but not it's, it might be a haywire way because we don't we don't get the human interaction from it, but we're commute. We're we feel some sense of communication, something. Okay, I, not a hundred percent. I would lean more towards we're making statements. We're not looking to have a conversation. So what do you think about this? I so I agree with that. My thought would be: Is Twitter just a means of prolonged arrogance for every individual? You've granted. Oh, I somebody, think it's magnified arrogance. So, so it's a, maybe at the very bottom of this, it's a human need to be arrogant and Twitter, Twitter serves that need. It's not about communication. Maybe that's what it is. I, I would lean more towards that than it is an an effective communicating platform. You know, I, I could buy that. I believe that. I think you're right. I I take back all the stuff I said. And I think, I, 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 you know, I think that maybe at the bottom of communication, it makes more sense to say there's arrogance at the bottom of that than there is communication. Does that make sense? Yes. I mean, okay, I, I'm with you on that. Yeah. The the thi- the last straw that I am pushing in this direction is we will eventually, maybe not, but in my mind, there will eventually be a limit as to the magnification of our arrogance. What do you mean? What do you walk me through that? That's interesting. The ability for you to surround yourself with people who think exactly like you all the time. Why do you think that will come to an end? Because I think it is a self-destructive behavior. So you think it's like evolution. Everyone who does that will die. And those that don't will continue on kind of a thing. Yes. Interesting. Okay. Not a, not a, a soul belief, but I think the self-destructive behavior that is being cultivated right now is not a, you can't prolong that for the existence of humanity. So do you think Twitter is a flop? Do you think it will be gone very quickly? I think it will be gone when the people who, sorry, not the people, when people realize what Twitter is, at its roots. But if somebody went out there and said Twitter is all about arrogance, no one's going to listen to that. No. Right? So, no. like, everyone has to realize for themselves. Is that what? Yeah, it's going to be like um, CNN posting an article saying that Twitter supports or Twitter is more likely to cause arrogant behavior in nine out of ten people. Dude, I feel like that article's already been posted. I know I know that for Facebook, that study has already been done. Okay. So So who listens to that? No one. Fucking okay. no one. Why? Because it's boring. It's not a headline grab. It's not and, a and what does that what is the what are the repercussions yeah. of heeding the advice of that article right now? You're you're totally correct. You can't. You can't because your mom's on Facebook. You're you know Right. The, Your girlfriend. We're, it's we're not at that point yet. When when what will what will change between us now and us at that point? I believe what is happening right now will change it. How so? Political polarization? 
political accusation and political oh. association. Nothing to do with what you've actually done or actually believe, but if you're a part of right wing or us, you're now guilty. And Why? if ninety five percent of a group storm the Capitol, right, but the five percent don't, are the five percent still guilty of that group? Who, dude? That's a that is a tough question. I morally believe the answer is no, but there's that's where I think we're treading towards right now. So I agree with you, but I do think that that's the same thing that's happened in a lot of other countries in the past that have led to t- tyrannies. So yes, and and I. I'm saying that the self-destructive behavior that social media generates will self-destruct. So you think this will devolve into a tyranny because of Twitter, yes. etc. And then Twitter will be gone forever in the future because we'll be like, man, we should not have done Twitter in the past. That was a mistake. Look what it turned into. Kind yes. of a scenario. Is that what you're... Okay. Yeah, I could, that makes sense to me. And not, maybe not such an absolute version of yeah. that, but... A more tame, like, we realize that the ability for people to, for extreme people to cultivate and congregate has the potential. And honestly, it's not even, my biggest gripe isn't even with the people who are finding like-minded people. My biggest gripe is, I believe there has... Right now, we have the potential to convict and, you know, turn the lens on what is happening to turn any affiliation with a group into a criminal offense. You know, we were, this thing at work happened and essentially one of the people I work with said, we're going to cancel this person. And I felt dirty saying, ha ha, I agree. Because it's like, you shouldn't. It was, it was not like we're going to ruin somebody's career. I mean, they're going to be very fine. But it's, it's we sh- yeah, I agree with you very much that we should not be making that decision decision on our own without what the founding father said was true justice. Yeah, and I think we can uh, confuse true justice and anger very easily. Yeah, I agree with that. And... Um, I just have a general concern towards affiliation with and actually committing a crime. I'm all about if you committed yeah. a crime, you need to you need to figure out, you know, if you need to go to jail, whatever whatever the punishment should be, I believe that you should serve that punishment. But because somebody joined a Facebook group yeah. that you also joined and that we found that 98% of the people in this Facebook group caused violence at the Capitol. Yeah. The remaining 2%, statistically speaking, right. were probably there as well. But that we can't make that judgment. That's the value of innocent until proven guilty, which is extremely valuable. The burden of proof being on the state as opposed to the individual. I just hope that that holds true. Yeah, who knows? It's a mystery. It doesn't hold true for work. No. Which is livelihood. Which is And I just hope that in the future, as things become more charged going into next week, who knows what's gonna happen. Um people being associated with others who do dumb things and dumb is a very low term if anything happens, but we can't condemn each other to the point of total destruction because of dumb people. You know, I, I... I do have to say that in the Soviet Union and in Nazi Germany, nobody nobody felt like it was changing dramatically. They they saw people being ousted, but they understood it at the moment, and that's because you can accept slow change. Nazi Germany started in 1933. It took 10 years, well, really seven years, to get to where it was. Russia, 1918, to the next number of years in washington at least there are leaders of police unions being ousted on the internet and it's a little bit strange to me to see and then think we should not be firing people from positions because they hold a political belief that's Mm -hmm. that's how you go down the rabbit hole 
And we are now... I, I read something today. I think it was just a little blurb on Apple News, so take it with a grain of salt. 300-plus uh, criminal cases against rioters in the Capitol. Yeah. They're not having any plea deals. So everybody is going in for the maximum sentence. Right. So association. Yeah. Were you were you protesting? Right. When did you when did you break the rule? Right. Who's determining whether or not you broke the rule? Right. And if you did break the rule, are you then I I just and I think it's actually kind of funny that we're both, you know, reading the Gulag Archipelago right now. Right. And How weird is that? Association with, all right, you did something wrong. However wrong it actually is, I mean, we've, in the past year, we've seen wrong look many different ways. Right. From now coughing on somebody is is a, a form of, I, don't, I wouldn't go as far as terrorism, but... Uh, Some would. <laughs> I would. I would honestly, I've, I've... I don't want to be that extreme, but yes. Yeah. Um, to intense protests and riots and violent issues, I just struggle with if I was there and somebody said that, well, if I'm going down for this, he was also there. Right. I feel like we're getting close to that. Yeah. No, that, it, it is It is very weird that we're reading this book right now because it's I I have sent texts to people with the book underlined saying this is what happens when you do this like this is how it goes and uh, it's crazy that it's it's already happened and we already know what happens and it's required reading in Russia but it's not required reading here because we don't think it would ever happen to us and I it is it is very it's a very plausible potential in my opinion and we can disguise it as justice. Mm-hmm. That's the great trick. It's 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 always justice. That's the 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 low subversion of the left, as opposed to the stark subversion of the right that immediately takes charge and decides things, as opposed to the left, which slowly undermines tradition, which is scary, super scary. Especially when new things aren't really new. They're just yeah. old things reworked. So I yeah. when you undermine something, that's kind of what I was getting at with the, the new narrative. I don't think it'll last. I think, to be completely honest, unemployment will dip back to where it's supposed to be. And then things will be fine. And I, I, I've been saying, I've been telling everybody this since this all started. If you had told me in March that unemployment spiked, three months later we'll be seeing protests. It doesn't matter what for. I I get it. It just makes sense. It just it just happens to be there was a Black Lives Matter thing involved. It could have been protests over jobs or wages. We had an Occupy Wall Street protest, which is the biggest protest that I bet you can remember in the last fifteen years, and that was only around the time of of a financial crisis. Yeah. I it it is people without time protesting so i i get it and it's uh it's gonna go away i bet in the next five or ten years but the next one will be i think even worse because the inequality is getting very bad so so real quick on that um i've been listening back through revisionist revisionist history episodes yeah mm-hmm. and i came across the one on the foot soldier statue okay and it was in Alabama. Okay. This statue was created based on a picture that was taken during protests uh, during Martin Luther King's time. That's recent. Wow. Yeah. And the statue is a police officer holding back a snarling German shepherd that is attacking a black boy. Yeah. And the whole point of the episode goes into what actually was happening. And based off of interviews and documentation and and all the actual picture evidence of everything, the statue that is 
is now up is of a small small boy being attacked by a German shepherd and the police officers holding it back. The the part of the uh, episode that goes into what actually happened is the police officer was roughly five foot ten. The small boy portrayed in the statue was six four. It was a sixteen year old guy. Yeah. The German shepherd that was then admitted to be sculpted as a wolf, not a German shepherd, is being in the picture, the police officers holding the German shepherd back compared to letting him attack the boy in the statue. The the whole statue is a, a foot soldier for the civil rights movement, right? The boy in the picture and the boy in the statue is this guy who wanted no affiliation to the civil rights movement. Holy shit. That sucks. So we like to think, not like to, we tend to think that things are really, really bad now. Yeah. This is during the time when there was no internet, when there was no social media, and the true narrative of a statue that still exists today is totally wrong. Yeah. So why do we have the idea that everybody having the say would produce a narrative that is more wholesome? Well, I don't think it's everybody, first of all. I don't think everyone agrees with that narrative of the statue. I think a very select few with a lot of voice are saying that, but they're idiots. It's clearly idiots. You walk into any historian's office and they're going to tell you, well, there's always a historical background to statues and you should be skeptical of how they're portrayed. And frankly, it could have been because the sculptor decided to do whatever it was. I would say that most people are reasonable, but you only hear about the left and the right on the crazy sides. And, you know... We are not at a place where the National Guard has shot college students, which happened already in the 60s. So I agree with you. It's definitely not as bad as it has been. It's worse than the Rodney King riots, I would say, because it's all over the country. But yeah, no no one. I mean, also, there's almost no chance of a civil war, I would say, at this point. Not legitimate, no. Not legitimate, because the civil war was against two factions of government. Right now, there are protesters and counter-protesters that roughly align with the parties but don't actually align. Because there are Democrats calling for some Democrats to be removed because they're not Democrat enough. So I, I don't know. But, My thing with the Civil War is opinions don't yeah. start wars. And Agreed. as much of an opinion as one political party may have versus another political party, it is still an opinion. Yeah, and we're all too weak to fight. And and we are softer than <laughs> fresh white bread. Yeah. So yeah. I think somebody may throw a punch, and God forbid somebody shoots a gun, but I'll tell you right now, if there was an all-out <laughs> slaughter, people would think twice about, I don't think it'll happen. I agree. People people care too much at the end of the day about their the welfare of their family and the welfare of themselves well beyond an idea. Except for some very extreme cases, which you saw, I think, at the Capitol. But yeah, we'll see it again this week. But yeah. I think it's extreme case. It's not the general consensus. So some, I, you know, it's a little scary to think that if that does happen, then there's going to be a crackdown. And how bad will the crackdown be? I, I don't know if you saw today, but the NRA has filed for bankruptcy and moved to Texas as a nonprofit out of New York. So who knows? Who knows what groups that are fighting for individual rights on the Republican side are going to face over the next. 10 to 20 years but it's weird i mean or tomorrow yeah we're tomorrow i mean we're in the, in the tumultuous time that we are in uh tomorrow seems like a big enough goal yeah let alone 10 years well it's been fun i've learned a lot shall we call it a a pause i think so all right chief all right see you